The football season is almost here. This is Warren Sharp, and here at Sharp Football Analysis, there is no dead season. We've been working literally for months writing our 2022 football preview, and I will promise you this. This book is the fastest way for you to get smart for the upcoming season, period. I'm going to give you $5 off right now that's not offered anywhere else to use on your copy. This book is over 550 pages, full color, and previews all 32 NFL teams. It's got comprehensive fantasy football analysis. It's got every single line and total for every single game that's going to be played this upcoming season all the way through to week 18. It's got forecasted win totals. It's got betting advice. It's got predictions for the upcoming season and so much more. We're talking deep dives into all 32 teams and much, much more. There is simply nothing like this preview in the industry, and I can promise you that. So order your copy right now at sharpfootballanalysis.com and use coupon code ANGLES. That is A-N-G-L-E-S. Use coupon code ANGLES, and you will save $5 off your price. Go over to sharpfootballanalysis.com and pick up your copy today. the Sharp Angles betting podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. It's been a while since we last caught up, but with the NFL season less than a month away now, it's time to start diving into some NFL season-long player props. So over the next couple of weeks, I'll be going position by position through some props and possibly bringing on a guest or two along the way to help out with these. Um, we're going to go position by position, as I said, and today we're going to start out talking about quarterback props. But before we get started, I wanted to just talk a little bit about general philosophy, how to approach um, these season-long prop bets, or at least how I like to approach it. And I think my my biggest philosophy when looking at these is I'm always going to lean towards betting the under. I think that's just the safest way to go about when you're looking at a season-long prop. And the reason is basically you can be 100% right in your logic for betting the over and still lose that bet because of a fluke injury. It's just we see so many injuries in the NFL and a player can be red hot and you can be on pace to easily win an over bet and then something happens and it's a loss. And the reverse really can't happen. I mean, it could if you're betting on a player who's not projected to get a significant role in the offense and suddenly injuries force him into a bigger role that could happen. But typically those are the types of players we're betting on. We're usually betting on starters, especially with quarterbacks, as we're talking about today, you're not betting on backup quarterbacks. So for the most part, we're betting on these guys and the numbers are lined based on the expectation that they play a full season and they might not. So I am going to talk about some overs and certain players whose overs I like, but as a general rule, I have more confidence betting the unders that I like because I could also, the the injuries could benefit me there. I could be wrong and still get that one right. Uh, And that just doesn't really happen as much when you're betting the overs. Um, And, you know, I'm bringing this up to start out, especially with the quarterbacks, because for some reason, I feel like looking at the quarterback props this year, they seem to be lined based on an overconfidence that a lot of these guys are going to play the full season especially for some guys that we should have doubts that they're going to play 
16, 17 games, uh, either injury risks and or just job security. Um, so there are a couple of guys who I like the under simply based on, I think the line is expecting them to play more games than they're going to play. Um, but let's start with talking about the overs. We'll start on the positive side of things and uh, starting with a player that we talked about quite a bit last season, uh, um, but I'm going to sort of change my tune. A lot of the times I was betting unders on Justin Fields last year. Uh, I like the over on his passing yards this year. And it, it really comes down to two significant reasons. I, first, I should mention the over um, the best line that I've seen is 3,299.5 passing yards. I like the over on that. And it's really about two factors. One, the improved coaching staff. Um, there's a little bit of a guesswork and expecting it to be improved because it's inexperienced, but uh, sort of addition by subtraction and getting rid of Matt Nagy, which I'll get to more in a minute. Uh, but And the other half is just he really struggled against pressure last year, which you, if you listen to the podcast at all last season, you heard me mention that a few times. Um, but this is year two, and he's got probably a better coaching staff to help him along and make him more prepared for those situations. So those are two factors that I think put him into a pretty good situation uh, to go over that in really a relatively modest passing yards total. And let's talk about the coaching staff first, and I'll bring up something which I definitely mentioned multiple times in the podcast last year in regards to Matt Nagy. I mean, he was just flat out clueless. And the best example was in Justin Fields' first start of the year against the Cleveland Browns when 17% of his pass attempts came off of RPOs. And this was problematic and a huge red flag as far as how well Matt Nagy was prepared to call plays for Justin Fields because Ohio State doesn't really use RPOs all that much. It made up 8% of his pass attempts at Ohio State, and he really struggled. At Ohio State, he had a negative 5.8 EPA on RPOs during his final season in college. So, I mean, that says a lot. The fact that Nagy came out with that game plan in his first game, it says a lot about what the coaching environment was around fields during his rookie year. Even though Bill Lazor took over play calling duties after that first game and the play calling undoubtedly improved, we saw how prepared Nagy was for that first game. He wasn't. He didn't know what he had in fields. He didn't know what fields had done in college. He was not prepared to be the head coach to get Justin Fields ready to play as a rookie quarterback. And if that's the type of coaching that Fields was having all offseason, getting ready for that first season, no wonder he struggled. Uh, so now Luke Getze is going to take over the play calling duties. It's his first time calling plays. Um, as the Bears offensive coordinator. So obviously we don't, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know for certain that he's an upgrade over what they had last year, but it was so bad last year that it, it can't be that much worse really. Even, even if Luke Etsy is an average NFL offensive coordinator, an average play caller, that's an upgrade because the Bears were just flat out bad in that area last year. One of the worst in the leagues, I would argue. So Luke Getze doesn't need to be spectacular to put fields into a better situation. Now, a little bit about Luke Getze and one of the reasons why he's uh, I, th- I think we should have some optimism about him as a play caller. He spent his entire NFL career in Green Bay, but he did spend one season in college in 2018 at Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead. Moorhead was also his offensive coordinator um, when Getze was the quarterback at Akron. Um, Moorhead is regarded as one of the best offensive play callers in the college game. He's really, he was at Penn state for a while before he took the head coaching job, Mississippi state uh, had a lot of success there. 
he really is regarded as one of the most um, innovative offensive play callers in the game right now. Um, so, you know, I assume Luke Getze must have picked up some of that. Obviously, he played for him in college, spent one season with him as an OC. Having strong ties to a guy who's so well regarded, just, you know, it, it doesn't guarantee that Getze is going to succeed in the same way that Moorhead does. But it's just one other reason to sort of boost our confidence that Justin Fields is in better hands this year than he was with Matt Nagy and his staff last season. Now, the other factor that I mentioned was how Justin Fields really struggled under pressure. And you know, one of the reasons why I was often betting unders on Justin Fields last year was because he also struggled against pressure in college. Um, 33% of Justin Fields' dropbacks versus pressure in his final season at Ohio State resulted in either sacks or scrambles. And if we're betting on a passing yards prop, that's significant because those are past plays in which he's not actually passing the ball. So a high rate of sacks and scrambles uh, versus pressure is going to suppress your passing numbers. Now, in the in his rookie season in the NFL last year, that rate jumped up to a league high 42%. So when he was pressured 42% of the time, he did not throw the ball. He either sacked, he either was sacked or scrambled. But there is sort of a silver lining when you dive into the numbers a little bit. Through his first eight games, 49%. So basically half the time he was pressured, he didn't even attempt to pass. Obviously, that's suppressing his passing yard numbers. But in the final four games, it improved to 33%. That's still not great, but it's not like it's not leading the league by a massive margin like he was at that 49% number. 33% is still too high. But the fact that he showed improvement down the stretch last year, that's reason to believe that he's just going to feel more comfortable. And as we said, he's probably spending this offseason with a coaching staff that's better equipped to make him more comfortable. I think we'll see even more of an improvement. So Fields' passing numbers were suppressed last year, partially because he just wasn't comfortable looking downfield and making decisions when he was pressured. For that first eight games, again, 49% of the time he was pressured, he didn't throw the ball. So that's limiting what he can accomplish in terms of his passing yards. If that number drops, even if it stays at 33%, where it was over the final four games, that's a huge jump from where it was through that first portion of his uh, season with the Bears last season. So that's that alone is going to boost his passing yards simply by throwing the ball more when a, when a pass play is called. So you know, we think the coaching situation has improved. We think he's getting better prepared for this season. And even last year, in a bad situation, we had already seen some improvement. So I feel pretty good about saying that when Justin Fields take when Justin Fields takes the field for the Bears in week one, he's going to look like a much more improved passer, much more comfortable making decisions. And so I think he's going to hit the over on his passing yards. All right, the next quarterback whose passing totals I like. The over four is Derek Carr. And the best number I've seen there is 4,400 passing yards. And there's really two factors here. One is this number is a little bit lower. It's about 300 yards lower than he threw last season. And I think one of the reasons for that number dropping a little bit is that there's maybe a little bit of a misconception about Josh McDaniels, what kind of offense he's going to bring. And the other factor here is Devontae Adams, pretty obvious uh, upgrade. So diving into that a little bit, I think that, there's sort of the misconception that Daniels is going to suppress the offense a little bit because over the last couple of seasons in new England, uh, they have not been a prolific passing offense. In fact, they ranked 31st and 25th in pass attempts, 
over the past two seasons. Now, those are the two seasons post Brady, but even towards the end of Brady's career, they had necessarily dialed back the number of attempts, but had dialed back their aggressiveness as a passing offense a little bit towards the tail end of Brady's career. And so I think that there's a perception out there that McDaniels is maybe a little bit more conservative than some of the other coaches and would possibly bring a more conservative offense to Las Vegas than they had last year. And I'm not so sure about that because McDaniels has been an offensive coordinator in the league for a long time now, and we've seen a number of different types of offenses. I think we should actually view him as a type of offensive coordinator who's capable of adapting to the talent that he's got to work with. And so if he's got Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro, I think he's actually going to become a more aggressive offense, possibly one of the more aggressive offenses he's had over the course of his career. And he's done that in new England. He was the offensive coordinator during some of Brady's record breaking seasons back uh, when Randy Moss was there, when they were one of the most aggressive offenses in the league. So I think if you dive deeper into McDaniel's career, back in some of his early seasons as a coordinator, I think we should have that conclusion about him that he's going to adapt his offense to his play callers and the talent that he has in Las Vegas is going to dictate that this remains one of the more aggressive offenses in the league. And so that should bode well for Derek Carr uh, having another big season like he had last year. And obviously a big part of that is Devontae Adams. We don't really need to say too much to prove that he adds a new dimension to the offense, but I will get into some numbers just to sort of show one specific area where he definitely improves Carr's ability to rack up passing yards Um, And so I looked at some route adjusted data from true media and using this route adjusted data, obviously, you know, the yardage that you're going to pick up after the catch is heavily dependent on the type of route that you run a screen pass. For example, you're going to get a lot more yards after the catch than a curl where you're often going to catch the ball and often be tackled right away. Um, So if we look at these different types of where they caught the ball, what type of route it was, we can look at what their expected yards after the catch would be based on all their receptions over the course of the season. Now, Raiders pass catchers last year were actually pretty good. They picked up 3.8% more yardage after the catch than expected. That ranked ninth in the league, but that was despite having a big negative on the team. Zay Jones, who had 47 receptions last year, generated 20% fewer yards after the catch than expected. They were 90th in the league. So that was, although overall they were pretty good, obviously Renfro factors into that. He's very good after the catch. Overall, they were, they had a big negative on the team and Adams is going to take up basically all of Jones receptions and then some uh, in this offense as the number one weapon. And he picked up 3.2% above expected. So they're basically removing Zay Jones, a huge negative in this area, and adding in Devontae Adams um, to the point where now when you look around at their primary pass catchers, everybody's a positive in this area. So I think we're going to see Derek Carr, even without really doing anything different, the exact same types of throws that he was making last year in some cases are going to be more productive simply because he has another weapon out there in Devontae Adams who's going to make plays after the catch once once the play is completely out of Carr's hands. So that's just one specific area where Adams uh, really provides a tangible upgrade over what they had last year. So, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're expecting McDaniels to have a fairly aggressive offense because he has the weapons to make that work, we're expecting Adams uh, to be a significant upgrade, especially in what he can do after the catch. 
you know, I think Carr clears that 4,400 passing yards mark, uh, puts up pretty similar numbers to what he had last year. So I like the over on this one as well. All right, now the final uh, over that I like is going to be Russell Wilson's passing touchdowns at 31 and a half. Now you could probably use some of the same logic that I'm going to reference to bet the over on his passing yards. I think I'm leaning towards touchdowns here for reasons that I'll get into in a moment. Um, But it basically boils down to he's playing behind a much better offensive line in Denver. That's going to significantly help him. And then the elite competition that he's got in the AFC West, it seems, you know, it seems like a guarantee that we're going to see some high scoring shootouts uh, in those divisional games. And so that should uh, boost their scoring in a few of these matchups. So that's one of the reasons why I like the touchdowns. I think he's going to be forced to be a little bit more aggressive in certain games this year, which could uh, boost some of his passing numbers. Now, in regards to the offensive line, obviously it's no secret that Seattle has struggled in that area, Um, but I'll get into a few numbers here, which really kind of drives home this point as far as how Denver is likely to help him. We know that Russell Wilson likes to hold onto the ball, and that's one of the reasons why he is pressured and sacked at such a high rate, but it's, it's not the only reason their offense line genuinely struggled to keep him clean, even very early in plays. Um, Russell Wilson last year, or I'm sorry, Seattle's offensive line overall, and this includes the game when Wilson was uh, not on the field, but they allowed pressure in 2.5 seconds or less on 25% of pass plays. I ranked 24th now. And within 2.5 seconds, you know, Sometimes pass plays get out that fast, but if any, if even if it's taking Russell Wilson 2.5 to three seconds, that's not necessarily qualifying as a play where he's holding the ball too long. Anyone who's pressured in 2.5 seconds or less, that's generally not going to be the quarterback's fault. So basically 25% of the time he was dropping back to pass in Seattle last year, he was being pressured and it was not on him in those situations. Now he does hold onto the ball out. He likes to hold onto the ball out. 30% of his attempts last year occurred at least three seconds into the play. So having an offensive line that can protect a little bit longer is just going to make those plays easier. He's going to hold on to the ball too long anyway. We saw that in Seattle, even behind a bad offensive line, he couldn't help himself from doing that. If you can just build up a better offensive line around him, you're going to make him more efficient in those types of plays. I think that's one of the biggest failures that Seattle had was um, it was almost like they took for granted the fact that he could run around and buy time and hold on to the ball longer rather than trying to build up the offensive line and making it easier for him to do that. Cause obviously that's where he feels more comfortable. Denver's offensive line is not great. They ranked in the middle of the pack in that uh, rate last year, as far as allowing uh, pressure, quick pressure. Um, they ranked 16th in our offensive line unit rankings this off season. Um, so, you know, we're not expecting greatness out of them, but they also are a pretty obvious upgrade over what he, uh, what Wilson was playing behind in Seattle last year. So there's just going to be more plays where Wilson wants to hold on to the ball and look downfield where he's going to have an opportunity to do that without being pressured too quickly. So I think that increases the odds of some big plays probably makes this offense a little bit more explosive than he was able to have in Seattle uh, towards the end of his run there. And now the, the other factor that I mentioned which is why I like the passing touchdowns number, because I think they're going to have to be aggressive as far as scoring, throwing the ball downfield late in some games uh, in the AFC West. And last season in the AFC West, even though, you know, at least one of the teams, Denver was not a prolific offense, six of the 12 
AFC West divisional games reached at least 54 combined points. In the NFC West, where Wilson was last year, only two games reached that number. So this was already an elevated scoring environment with Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr. Got a lot of quarterbacks in this division that are capable of putting up points. Now you add Russell Wilson to the mix. It means basically every game in this division has serious shootout potential. So Wilson is much more likely to find himself in a situation late in the game where teams are trading punches deep into the fourth quarter, running up the score on each other in a tight game. I think he's going to play in some shootouts. And so that's why I like the passing touchdowns number, just because I think that there's going to be a few games this year where out of necessity, they're throwing the ball more and being more aggressive and that 31 and a half number, it's really not that high. It's pretty much in line with what we've seen from him over the past years. He's reached at least 31 touchdowns uh, in four of the last five years. The only year he didn't was last year when obviously injuries uh, factored in, and he very easily could have gone over that had he played a full season. Uh, so if, assuming Wilson stays healthy, which playing behind an offensive line, uh, a better offensive line in Denver certainly helps in that area as well. I, I think that he has a very good chance of going over 31 and a half passing touchdowns. Okay, now that we've touched on the overs, it's time to get into the more negative portion of the podcast uh, and talk about some of the unders, which, as I said at the top, these are typically the bets that I'm a little bit more confident in just because you know, even if your logic is wrong, sometimes you can luck into a win simply because an injury helps you out. So for most of these, these are going to be my more confident ones. And I'm going to start out talking about Kyler Murray. And before I dive into why I like the under on his passing, I just want to say I'm not necessarily projecting. I don't necessarily think Murray is going to be a worse quarterback, but he's taking a step back as a player. Um, we have every reason to believe, I think, that he's still improving as a young quarterback. Um, but this is really just all about the situation that he's in. And obviously a big part of that is DeAndre Hopkins. That's definitely a factor here. Um, the over under that I've seen for him is right around 4,000 yards, pretty much everywhere, give or take maybe 10 to 15 yards um, to get the over. He's got to hit a career high. And so he's got to hit a career high in passing yards without DeAndre Hopkins for six games. That just doesn't seem like a smart bet. I mean, we should expect him to be a little bit less efficient without his best quarterback, without his best receiver on the field. And one of the specific reasons why I think we're going to see Murray's numbers drop a little bit is that last year he picked up 30% of his yardage and throws 20 or more yards downfield. That was the second highest rate in the league. Deep brawl production is volatile. It doesn't stay consistent from year to year. So we should already have a little bit of a red flag in that area, thinking that maybe Murray's numbers would drop slightly if he's a little bit less efficient on the deep ball. But obviously he relies on DeAndre Hopkins throwing the ball downfield. So he's also going to be without Hopkins for six games. I think that's even more reason to think that the deep ball production doesn't quite live up to what it was at times last year, especially early in the season last year. So I think we should assume that his yardage maybe drops off a little bit, at least uh, in those six games without Hopkins. Maybe it picks up, maybe he gets hot with DeAndre Hopkins, but there's also reason to doubt that, which I'm going to get into now. Now, Murray as an undersized quarterback, we obviously know that we should assume he's an injury risk. He's actually been relatively healthy throughout his career. Last year was the first time he missed significant time. I believe it was three games that he missed last year due to the ankle injury. Um, so maybe there's a, there's a small red flag there as far as injury concerns. Um, but the one thing that we can say for certain is 
every year he gets worse at the end of the season. And given his size, um, there's just reason to believe that he's wearing down. The wear and tear of the season has taken its toll on him, and he needs uh, to find a way to compensate for that, which he hasn't done so far. Um, some numbers to back up this statement here. Over the last three seasons, there have been 26 quarterbacks who started at least 14 games between week 10 and the end of the season. In that sample of games, Murray averaged 6.6 yards per attempt. That ranked 23rd out of 26. Now, among that same group of 26 quarterbacks during weeks one through nine of the past three years, Murray averages 7.8 yards per attempt, which ranks ninth. So among these 26 quarterbacks, Murray's top 10 at the beginning of the season in yards per attempt and fourth worst on the back end from week 10 through the end of the season. Um, You know, as I said, with his stature, we have reason to believe that he's getting banged up a little bit more than other quarterbacks. He's not built to take hits the way other guys are, especially for a guy who runs a little bit more than most. Um, he's taking a beating and it seems to be negatively impacting him at the end of the season. Now, looking at this year in particular, at the beginning of the season, when he's fresh and when he has typically played very well, that now overlaps with when he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins. So we think he's going to be a little bit less efficient than usual at the beginning of the year because he's not going to have his best player, his best receiver out there on the field with him. And we think he's going to be a little bit worse than usual at the end of the season, because that's been the track record that he's shown. You add that up. And I think that we should expect that Murray's going to have a little bit of a down year in terms of his passing production this year, because that's just like a bet. That's a bad equation. Basically on both halves of the season, we have reason to think that he's going to underperform a little bit. And as I said, again, I'm not trying to be negative about Murray and his long-term projection as the Cardinals quarterback, he's still improving and maybe he does find ways to um, keep himself a little bit more fresh. And maybe at some point he does improve his production in the second half of the season, but I'm going based on what we've seen so far. And right now we've seen a track record of him struggling in the second half of the season. So that plus missing DeAndre Hopkins, I'm going to bet the under on his passing yards. I do not think he has a career year for passing yards this season. Okay, the next under that I like is the under on Daniel Jones passing touchdowns at 21 and a half. Uh, And the reason for this, I'll be short and sweet. Um, Over the past two seasons in 25 games, Daniel Jones has 21 touchdowns. So to hit the over on this, he needs to surpass his touchdown total from the past two seasons combined. Now, what has changed in New York to make us think that Jones is capable of that? Brian Dable? I agree. He's an upgrade, a pretty significant one, but is he going to suddenly elevate Daniel Jones in this passing offense to that degree that Jones is capable of, you know, reproducing his numbers in the past two seasons combined. I think that's aggressive. Now I'll also acknowledge the giants are projected to have the easiest schedule in the league, but that doesn't necessarily up his, our should, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should up our projections for his passing touchdowns and his passing yard, because you know, some of those games, maybe that means that they're playing with a lead for a significant portion of the second half against some of these easier games on their schedule. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't see how Jones is suddenly going to turn into a guy who's throwing for 22, 23, 24 touchdowns this season. Um, he did uh, top 20 touchdowns his rookie year, but, you know, we've seen now two the past two seasons, we've seen enough of Jones to know that he's just not the guy. 
Um, he's probably going to maintain this job for the season because there isn't really another option there. Uh, but then again, who knows? Uh, maybe Dable gets frustrated and Terod Taylor gets a chance. Uh, it seems like plausible that at some point, if Jones continues to be the Daniel Jones that we've seen in past years, that option is out there. So the fact that we just haven't seen this level of production from Jones consistently enough, the fact that there is um, a veteran behind him who maybe gets an opportunity if things uh, go south, I'm, I'm going to just take the under on this. I don't see Jones having a big breakout season, even with a significant upgrade of Brian Dable taking over. Sticking with the passing touchdown unders, I'm also going to take the under on Matthew Stafford at 33 and a half touchdowns. That's already a pretty big drop off from his 41 touchdowns last year. But I think the Rams passing offense takes a little bit of a step back this year. And it has a lot to do just with their strength of schedule. I'm going to reference um, some numbers that you can find in our uh, Sharp Football Football Analysis Preview book. Um, You can go on our website to pick that up if you haven't already. It's uh, just a ton of information. And this is one of my favorite things in it where you can compare last year's um, opponents' uh, ranks in a number of different categories compared to their projected numbers for this year. So I'm going to look at the Rams opponents' pass efficiency defense, which last year ranked 21st in the league, and this year is projected to rank 8th. So a pretty significant step up in that area. And then another one, their explosive pass defense faced last year, also ranked 26th. This year, it's projected to rank 9th. So a pretty big step up in what they're going to face in terms of the pass defenses um, on the other side of the ball. I think that's going to suppress their passing numbers a little bit. And the other factor here, which if injuries creep up in the backfield again, is definitely going to, it has the potential to force them to become more pass heavy again. But I think the Rams would prefer to be a little bit more run heavy this season. If Cam Akers could just stay healthy, I think they would like to lean on him a little bit more and take a little bit off of Stafford's plate. Uh, So if that goes as expected, that's going to suppress his passing numbers a bit. So between that factor, then potentially just throwing the ball less often, also facing uh, a much tougher road as far as the defenses they're going up against. I think Stafford's numbers are going to be suppressed a little bit. And again, just like I said with Kyler Murray, I'm not expecting Stafford to be a worse quarterback this year than last year. I just think that the environment is going to suppress his numbers a little bit this season. So I'm on the under on his passing touchdowns. All right, now let's get to what's probably my favorite uh, preseason prop among the quarterbacks that I've seen. That's the under on Baker Mayfield's passing yards, which I've seen as high as uh, 3,799 and a half. I think you can use all of them, this same logic to bet the under on his passing touchdowns number as well. And this one, it's really not about any numbers. It's just about the situation that he's in. I think first we have to acknowledge that Mayfield has dealt with injuries. He's dealt with shoulder injuries in each of the past two seasons. Now, two years ago, he was able to play through it, but obviously it plagued him throughout last season. He didn't miss a ton of time, but if you watch any of the Browns game, especially in the second half of the season, Mayfield was injured and that injury was affecting his performance on the field. So the fact that it's been bothering him for two seasons now, I don't think that we should really feel confident that he's going to be healthy for a full season. And that's, it's something that significantly affected his performance in the past. And I think we have to acknowledge that that's a possibility that it continues to do so. Now, the other factor, probably the bigger factor is this number is set pretty high, almost 3,800 passing yards. That basically implies they're expecting him to play a full season. And I don't know why we would expect that. Now, 
he is going to be the week one starter. I have to assume, I don't believe that's been announced, but you know, based on what we've seen from Sam Darnold the past couple of seasons, I'm sure they're going to roll with Baker Mayfield in week one, but no one in the league is on a hotter hot seat than Matt rule. So what if things go poorly at the beginning of the season? Is he just going to continue to roll out the same offense week after week and just wait to be fired? Of course not. He's going to do something. He's going to make a change. And the biggest change you can make is at quarterback. And although Baker Mayfield is better than Sam Darnold, I feel pretty confident saying that is he head and shoulders above Darnold to the point where we can say that rule wouldn't make a change out of desperation. Absolutely not. It's entirely possible that Baker Mayfield gets benched uh, for Sam Darnold doesn't necessarily have to be because Mayfield's playing terribly. It could just be pure desperation. Matt rule needs to do something different in week six, seven, eight, something like that, just to try to save his job. And the, and the, uh, the Panthers actually have a fairly difficult stretch early in the season where you could see this happening. Their first four games in October in order, Cardinals, 49ers, Rams, Bucks. That's probably four straight losses right there. And they've probably already got a couple losses in September as well. So Matt rule is going to be feeling pressure. He's going to be feel like he's forced to do something benching Baker Mayfield for Sam Darnold. Although I don't think it's going to be the answer. It's not going to save his job coaches on the hot seat when they know they're about to be fired, they always do something. And this is a very logical move for a rule to make, even if it would be a futile move. Now, the other factor here, there's two players gunning for Baker Mayfield's job because they just drafted Matt Corral in the third round. And so let's say Mayfield plays relatively well, the first portion of the season. And he either a outlasts Matt rule rule gets fired before he gets benched. Or maybe they even win enough games to save Rule's job. Maybe they're kind of hanging around the playoff race a little bit longer than expected. Once you reach those last couple weeks of the season, and they're definitely out of the playoff race, there's going to be pressure to play Matt Corral. There always is. You want to see your quarterback. Baker Mayfield is not the long-term answer in Carolina. We know that. And Matt Corral might be. So if you just invested a third-round pick in a rookie quarterback, you're probably going to be sniffing around the quarterbacks in this upcoming draft as well. You want to know what you've got in that third round pick that you just invested in. Matt Corral is going to play at some point this season. He's probably going to start a couple of games. So I don't know why Baker Mayfield's passing yards prop is set so high. It seems to be set based on an expectation that he's playing at least 16 games, maybe even a full 17. Uh, And I just don't see that happening. I think Darnold, or Corral and maybe both also start games for Carolina this season. There's just with two quarterbacks behind him that could easily start games this season. We just should have no faith that Baker Mayfield completes this season. So that, that's why this is my favorite, uh, my favorite prop of the year for the quarterbacks, the passing yards under for Baker Mayfield. And I think you could do the passing touchdowns under as well. All right, I've got one more under that I want to touch on. We're going to end things on a positive note because this would be an under that would actually be a positive sign for Trevor Lawrence. I'm on the under for Trevor Lawrence's interception total. It's set to 14 and a half. Um, But I think that there's a number of factors uh, that should lead us to believe that even if he doesn't necessarily improve a whole lot this season, his interception numbers are probably going to drop. So 
first I'll just start with a little bit of a historical context. He threw 17 interceptions last season. If he were to hit the over on this number, I mean, he throws 15 or more, he'd be the first quarterback to throw 15 or more interceptions in consecutive seasons since the 2015-2016 season. So it's been a while since anybody's done this. Uh, So there's a little bit of historical reference there to say that this just doesn't really happen. Guys don't throw a high number of interceptions in consecutive seasons uh, that much anymore, mostly because teams have just gotten smarter with how they design their offenses. And I'll get to that a little bit in a second, but I first want to just start out by acknowledging his interception total last year, his struggles overall last year. We have to assume a significant portion of that was tied to urban Meyer as the season played out, we saw what it was like. We got a little bit of a glimpse here and there with some of the stories that came out as to what things were like in the building in Jacksonville last year. And it was a complete mess. That's the environment that Trevor Lawrence was brought into in the NFL, where he was trying to figure things out as a rookie quarterback, as a rookie starting quarterback with complete dysfunction in the organization from the top on down. No wonder he was bad as a rookie. How could anyone succeed in that environment? I, I don't think there's any rookie quarterback in the history of the league that could go into that environment and have a great rookie year. Rookie quarterbacks are really at the mercy of the environment around them. We talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast with Justin Fields and how he was put into a difficult situation uh, early on in the season with Matt Nagy. And with Lawrence, it was to a much, much higher degree, even if maybe some of his offensive coaching was maybe a little bit better than what he had. um, Just dealing with the environment that Urban Meyer created there, that had to put him in a deep hole that he had to dig out of. There's no way he was as prepared as, say, Mac Jones was in uh, New England last season. It's just a completely different environment they were working with in the offseason, trying to prepare for the year. Um, so I, that's one big reason why I think we should almost treat this like Trevor Lawrence's rookie year and sort of revert back to what our expectations were for him coming out of the draft. And I, you know, there's no way we would have expected him to throw 17 interceptions. He's too talented uh, for that. So I'm, I'm just reverting back to that. I'm sort of giving him a blank slate and thinking, you know what, we're going to see a better version of Trevor Lawrence simply based on the fact that he's dealing with less chaos around him this season. He's going to just be more comfortable day in and day out walking into those facilities than he was last year. Now, part of that is Doug Peterson has a pretty decent track record. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. Uh, And I think it's also very noteworthy that his career in Philly spanned the Carson Wentz era, which ultimately didn't go exactly as planned, but he did take a rookie quarterback, ease him into the league, get some good quality performances out of him before it ultimately sort of plateaued for Wentz and sort of he slipped backwards a little bit, but Peterson did a great job bringing Wentz along. Um, So I think that we're going to see one of two scenarios play out. And I'll get into some numbers as to why I, I think this a little bit. I think either Lawrence improves dramatically. He becomes a better downfield passer and just that alone cuts down on his interception totals or Maybe he continues to struggle. Maybe he still truly looks like a rookie because last year was a wash and this is basically his rookie year. But if that happens, I think Peterson's going to dial back the offense and he's going to dictate the interceptions drop simply by the play calling. And I think we can assume that based on looking at Wentz's first two years in the league and how Peterson handled him. During Wentz's rookie year, the Eagles threw 10 or more yards downfield at the ninth lowest rate in the league. 
So Peterson really scaled back his offense that year and had a really conservative offense with a rookie quarterback, but that wasn't what he wanted to do. That's not the Doug Peterson offense that he wants to have. And we learned that the following season when Philly threw 10 or more yards downfield at the third highest rate in the league. So after a full season of Wentz, after he felt that Wentz was comfortable and ready to take the next step in his progression as a quarterback, they became a very aggressive downfield passing offense. Now, last year, the Jaguars kind of ranked in the middle of the pack. They ranked 13th in the league in percentage of throws, 10 or more yards downfield. And obviously that game plan just didn't work for Lawrence. He wasn't ready for it. Whatever the reason was, if it was the coaches weren't getting him ready or, or Lawrence himself just wasn't ready for that yet, it doesn't really matter. We have reason to believe that Peterson is going to evaluate Lawrence this offseason, decide what he's ready for, and he's going to structure the game plan around that just as he did with Wentz. Maybe Lawrence is ready. Maybe they really open things up and are an aggressive offense, uh, but they're not going to do that if he isn't ready for it. And so even if Lawrence continues to struggle, I think we're going to see the interception rate drop simply because Peterson is going to have a better game plan for him. If he's not quite ready for the full playbook, he's going to dial it back and he's going to make, create easier throws for Lawrence to build up his confidence so that maybe he's ready the following season. So either way, whether Lawrence is the same quarterback or whether he improves a lot, one way or another, Peterson is going to find a way to limit those negative plays. And so I really like the under 14 and a half interceptions for Trevor Lawrence this season. So that's it for this week's show. Be, tr- be sure to check out all the other podcasts in our feed. Uh, Rich Rebar is back to hosting his weekly fantasy shows to get you ready for your drafts. Uh, Rich and Dan Pizzuta are also doing the weekly Sharp Angles podcast. And I'll be back again next week to talk more player props with you.